everyone, and thanks for tuning in. The Turn and Talk podcast is an education-focused podcast that gives you an inside look into today's schools, classrooms, and the minds of educators in the words of real but anonymous classroom teachers and school staff. The mission of Turn and Talk podcast is to give the education mic back to those who actually do the important work of educating our children, the teachers, the school administrators, and the support staff. I'll invite them to our show and ask them questions, and you will hear their responses without filter. This was a fascinating interview in many ways. After the conversation you're about to hear, I feel I developed a deeper understanding of the work of an SLT in a school setting. More importantly, perhaps, I developed a real appreciation for the work of an SLT in a school. It is really difficult to have to meet the needs of children with language-related needs, and it is at least twice as hard to try to do that well, while also trying to prove your value as a professional to teachers you're working with. After this conversation, I feel that in a weird way, the SLT is expected to meet the needs of children and adults to an extent. If you're an SLT listening to this, I appreciate you. I hope that by the end of this episode, all listeners will have developed a deeper appreciation for our SLTs. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Our guest today is a speech and language therapist or an SLT, also known as the speech teacher. Currently, she provides speech and language services to middle school students in a variety of individual and group settings. She teaches at a small community school located in a low-income neighborhood of a large metropolitan area. Welcome to the show. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here and sharing your expertise and your experiences with us. I would love to start with your background. What is your title and what do you do? Sure. When I was in high school, I knew I loved biology. So I started with a passion for biology. And when I went to college, I declared my major as biology, thinking I was going into nursing or physician's assistant. I knew I couldn't handle med school. It was just the amount of hours I wanted to put in towards my future education, but I knew something in biology because I loved it. Then I went to, to undergraduate school and I took organic chemistry. So by the second, when I was a sophomore, um, the amount of stress that Orgo had on me was tremendous to a point where it had me reflect on like why did I even want to go into science. So I realized I didn't think I had it in me to do Orgo again, to do physics. So I wondered like what else can I do within the science community where I could still be giving back to the community. Went and took an aptitude test at the local center at the school and it literally said be a sped ed teacher or be a speech therapist. Wait, like a SAT? No, a special ed teacher. But no, or, I'm talking about the aptitude test. What kind of test? It the scholastic me, aptitude test? Or? It, it was like the what local kind of community test? center at my college where oh, I, see, I, see. I answered 120 questions about my personality, about um, <laughs> my interests, and then it literally gives oh, you, see. it breaks down just based on your personality what you should do. So I looked up the salaries of a special ed teacher and I looked up the salaries of a speech teacher and I just said, okay, let's try speech. Okay. I observed a bunch and I realized it was very much in my, my wheelhouse of helping. I knew I, like my mom's um, a therapist, a psychologist, so I knew I wanted to go into helping. My sister was a special ed teacher. So it fit. I went to a few classes. I'm also bilingual, so that was a huge part. I loved language. I loved learning about just my brain and how language worked within my brain. Took a few classes, observed, and I changed my major. And then I loved it. I also started getting all A's in my classes, and I was like, oh, I, I found something I'm, like, good at. Yeah, yeah, So let me keep doing that. So then how does that, if you try to connect from that moment in your life to now in a 
in a public school. Yeah, very different. Uh, like, w- but how how did that transition happen? What went on that brought you to the school? I tried out work. The more science aspect of speech and language would be helping people in hospital settings where they have had strokes and helping them relearn language, relearn how um, to swallow again, restructuring their parts of their brain with cognition work. Um, I tried that and it wasn't fast paced. It was too fast paced for me. And I realized like I liked um, having longer progressions. I'd work with a client for or a patient for six weeks and they would leave, right? They'd leave the hospital. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that. So I knew I thought maybe a school setting where I would get a student for five years, three years, where you actually see greater change in their life. So I was that's kind of how I ended up in a school. And I was open to all ages. Mm-hmm. So I was open to like pre-K till high school. I, I didn't go in. I think most teacher, seat teachers come in very narrowed in primary school. Mm-hmm. And and what was the, that process like? Do you, uh, you just reached out to schools, principals, or whatever the I tried district. for like six months and no one answered me. Oh, I see. So I tried for like six months reaching out directly to schools, reaching out to supervisors. Um, it didn't work, so I actually started in a clinic. And then one day I got a random call six months into that clinic job being uh-huh. like, hey, we have a school in this lower metropolitan area. And... Um, <laughs> It would be an awesome opportunity. It's a high school. Try it out. And uh-huh. that's kind of, I was just like, okay. And it, honestly, I left the clinic setting more so for like the benefits of a teacher. Like I didn't, I was paying my own healthcare. Mm-hmm. I was paying my own um, transportation and days off. If I didn't work, I didn't get paid. So there was like an advantage yeah. also to joining the school system. So you, you said something earlier about pay before too. You're like, oh, you looked at, I looked at the pay, yeah. pay of the teachers and I looked at the pay of the, the therapist. I'll talk about that. And <laughs> no, but like... <laughs> Does that suggest that the therapists make more than teachers? Is that in other settings? Oh, okay. I'm on the teacher. I'm on the teacher's salary right now. If I worked in a hospital, if I worked in a wow. clinic, I could teachers definitely teachers really make are at the very money. bottom. Huh? I could definitely make more money if I didn't work within the school. I'm on the same payroll as the teachers now, though. Oh, okay. I was very driven. Like my mom raised me in a way like you got to provide for yourself. Sure, so sure. like I was very much geared towards like I need to make my own money and bring sure. my own my own half and like. I, I did find someone who's also a teacher, so like I do have to bring, you know, like the yeah. teacher's salary. Like I do have to bring my end of the bargain of like contributing into the household income. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about the the day to day a little bit then. In my own life, my daughter, um, she sees a language specialist uh, in small groups from time to time in her classroom, and sometimes she's referred to that person as a speech teacher. And mm. um, I don't know how do do kids see. Uh, you as the speech teacher do they see you as the teacher and then what do you do on a daily basis what's your work like the only reason we're called teacher I think is because we work in a school any other setting like when I worked in the clinic or in a hospital we're called speech language pathologists Mm -hmm. and we're called SLPs so actually when you were telling me about an SLT I was like what's an SLT like I I, I don't refer to myself in SLT Um, but in a school we tend to be called teachers of speech and language improvement. When I introduce myself, I, I say, have you ever, first, the first question I always ask students is, have you ever received speech? Mm-hmm. And they normally know like, this person comes in and sees me is like speech. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, I don't know why I have this. Always, the first day. Right, right. So I'm like, okay, yeah, you don't have this for speech, air quotes. Um, you are here for language. So at this age, I'm not doing articulation, I'm not helping kids learn how to make certain sounds in their mouth. That's the speech aspect of my job. Speech language therapist, they added that L because it's a huge, probably in my case, the only part of my job. I work with some fluency, but that's still more of, um, be more speechy. But the language component, I think, is where 
they just then think of me as like a reading or writing teacher, mm-hmm. which is more of my job. Um, but I think I come in at a different angle at, with what language is and how it impacts reading and writing. So the first day I try to explain to kids that language is made up of a lot of different things, like the meanings of words. Um, and that's broken up into like the different parts of words. Um, there's phonology. So that's the kind of like where the reading aspect comes in. Um, I talk a little bit about like grammar and that aspect of language. So like there's five components of language. So I kind of like break it up to them. Like in our brain, we have diff- different parts mm-hmm. in our brain. Um, so I help to work those little parts that the teachers in your classroom can't get to because they're teaching you like the big brain. So I kind of break it up, like try to make it really concrete in that way. And then based on where the kids, they kind of already come in with these IEPs, right? Every kid on my caseload has an IEP. They have these goals that other speech teachers have already set for them. And then it's kind of finding my way within this new community, how to work with that area of their goals. And then recently there's been a new part of my job, which a lot of schools don't get the opportunity, but one of the five components of language is pragmatics. So social cognition and social thinking. So that's been a really cool part of my job also. So within this community, I actually do get to target a lot of aspects Mm -hmm. of language where a lot of speech teachers don't. They're normally very limited to like one or two areas. You mentioned your caseload and what what do you mean by your caseload? How big is it? How does that impact your workflow or the kinds of services you want to give kids? That's such a good question. Caseload matters probably the, the most. Unfortunately, speech teachers don't get a made schedule. So we have to like come in and try to like it's like a huge puzzle of trying to see like where all these people fit in together mm-hmm. and they might be having a group but that kid doesn't really work with that kid because they're working on different goals. So it's kind of this puzzle of trying to figure out how to manage everyone's goals within the same group, right? So I'll, my groups of four, or my groups of three, they all have different needs and that's kind of mean what the classroom's like. But when you're trying to focus on something really specific in language, that's definitely a challenge. And I mean, the caseloads get dictated by... Like if there's more speech therapists in a building, which means there's more funding or more need, there's more flexibility, and that's great. But a lot of schools only have one or two, and mm-hmm. depending on their periods, if the periods are 50 minutes or 45 minutes or 30 minutes, it's how much a teacher can fit into their schedule. So it gets tricky just based on logistics. I was once involved uh, professionally with a charter school network, and I met one of uh, the school counselors, social worker, and her caseload was 60 kids. Mm, yeah, I've had that one here. Like, how, how does that... You I know, worked in three schools and had 65 kids. My limit is 65. But but to, to the audience, that might not seem a lot, but when you... And we'll get into more of, like, what you actually have to do yeah. to legally provide the services that the children are enti- entitled to given their individualized education plans, which are federally mandated... This is a lot of, it can be a lot of work. It probably is a lot of work because you have to track goals. 65. Of 65 kids. And they normally have two or three goals. At least. Right, and that's 65 meetings, that's 65 reports, that's 65 parents. At least. At least. Right, and and you're doing this for the whole year, so it's not like you're just trying to get through the 65 in, in one time. You have to develop a schedule where you see each of the 65 at their mandated times, their and, mandated times. and their group settings. So another thing that many people might not know is that I think, and correct me from your experience, what you might know that's different, is that kids can, you know, five kids can walk in with speech services on their IEPs, and two of them are supposed to be seen for 40 minutes once a week. Uh, three of them can be seen for 40 minutes twice a week, but in a group of three. 
And then one in of the them. And one in the classroom. One out the classroom. <laughs> right? And in the classroom, I was like, the push and the pull out. There are so many pieces. So when you have 60 plus kids, how do you keep track of that? Is there like a, a software or something that exists for speech language? I have to lock. Do you know I have to, every single time I make contact with a student, I have to record it and then write. So I, I'm writing, I don't even know how many a week. I, because our periods are longer, I have a smaller caseload. So I'm actually like, it's great because my kids get more time and attention mm-hmm. than a lot of, but like when I worked in three different schools, I worked for high, two high schools and one middle school. I had 65 kids in three different buildings. And so I was only in a building like one day Wait, a week. How is that possible? How can you be in three different buildings? What does that mean? So there's different schools on different floors. Sure, so I guess sure. I was in the same, I was in the three different schools, two different buildings. Right. Three different but schools. I've also heard the three different buildings things too, like especially yeah. in bigger Our cities. Does that. In she urban in settings, right, right, right. Yeah. And why is that? It's just a purely funding matter. So if if I can if I have the time, they're going to try to max me out. So I should oh. I'm allowed to have 65. So if I'm at a school that has only like 20 kids on my caseload and there's a school next door that has an overflow of kids, they're going to send me next door to service that kid. Wow. It doesn't, okay. I've done that. I did, think I did it for a few years. It's it's not fair to me. I, I don't get to be a part of the community. Um, if I miss a day, like there's so many holidays on a Monday, I think there was like three weeks that I would see a kid because mm-hmm. I was only at that school on a Monday and they yeah. didn't see me. When you're in one building, there's so much more flexibility. If there's a kid absent, I go find another kid. Or there's more flexibility in actually getting to meet the kids. But when you're in three different communities, it's definitely not at the best service. You for feel them. you're more effective when 100%. you have a home base. Yeah. One of the things that teachers, when they're asked about, oh, what's your favorite part of the job? Um, they would say, a lot of teachers say, the relationships. And what you were just saying feels to me like, oh my God, how hard would it be to build relationships if you have one, you know, 65 uh, students to build a relationship with? And and that's fine because many teachers actually have 120 kids sometimes, right? But they see, they them, see every them every day. day. <laughs> and you don't. And then the holidays come and you don't. And if you're in a different school, you don't. So. And if they're absent, which happens so often, if you're a kid that's once a week and you're absent on your day, Okay, see you next week. Or like, unless I can find another way to, because like legally I can't try to like cancel someone else to come see you. So, I mean, it's... So talk about the relationship piece though. Is that a thing that you also, like a lot of teachers value as like the most important thing? That's what I, that's when I was reflecting on why I still like my job and why the biggest part is that because I take a kid out of the classroom and I do spend very one-on-one time or in a small group time, I get to be very, very close with these students and the relationship that I'm able to build, then, I mean, that's why I think I keep doing it and why I don't want to leave like a community and why three days a week in different communities is so hard. Like you said, like the kids don't want to, first of all, you're taking them out of their setting where they feel the most comfortable, which is often with their class. Mm -hmm. They don't want to come with you unless you have that built relationship. And especially when you get a student that's very resistant at first to having support, because I'm sure they've had bad experience with either speech teachers or whether it be female teachers or they don't like young teachers. Sometimes there's just something that Mm -hmm. they don't like. And then you get them to realize that you're valuable to them and that you're there to support them and care for them and provide safety for them. I have seen and heard students themselves say many times at the middle school level, like, can I work with so-and-so, the speech teacher? Um, So, like, I know very well, I feel, I believe that kids really look forward to the services, especially if they have that kind of relationship, they really want that. And many of the kids, especially receiving special education services, want the one-on-one. And I feel so uh, strongly that 
I should be giving more of that to my students yeah. too, but it's so hard to do. So I really appreciate hearing that, like you feel that that's an important part of, yeah. of your work. And I think it's, I, I have these 50 minutes or 40 minutes to like make them feel successful. Like yeah. I, I think that's a huge part of my job is just like their goals are so based on their level that they're meeting. Like I'm a bad teacher if I don't set a goal for them that they can't meet by the end mm-hmm. of the period, right? So. They come in probably feeling not the smartest in their class. They often are lost or they're confused. They never feel like the kid that's going to raise their hand and participate, most of them. So I'm giving this opportunity to shine. And like you see that. And I think that's a lot of the part where they like to come is like it's a time to feel successful. Mm -hmm. And like whether or not that then translates in the classroom, like it depends. Like sometimes it is. Like Mm -hmm. I'll then see them in the classroom and see them have like a shining moment and we'll make eyes. And it's just like, yes, like they that's something that they've been working on. But what about adults? You're taking, sometimes you walking into classes with other adults who are the, who are the teachers. <laughs> sometimes you are taking students away from a classroom. Uh, what's that experience like for you working with other adults and, and That is collaborating? the hardest part of my job, I think. Um, <laughs> I had a feeling. <laughs> especially when I worked in three schools and I did not know any of the other teachers at that one day school. And my they gosh. were like, who are you? And they answered the phone. So that's been, I, I really do think like, I, I chose a profession where I think I feel like more comfortable hanging out with a middle school or high school or <laughs> like a kid than a, an adult. Oh, um, so I'm funny. definitely, that wasn't a part of the job that I like knew was coming when I signed up. Uh-huh. And that's just navigating who will, I think you need to like show them your value first. Mm-hmm. I think they're all teachers are very hesitant because you're taking their time away and being just like really strategic on who and when and why. And well, that depends on the teacher's perceptions too. They, I would think and I would hope that they view it as not taking time away, but actually providing a mandated service also. It's not, you're, we're given the time to the kid that they are entitled right. In to. an ideal world, like <laughs> if you were to say what, what would be the best solution is kids would have it programmed into their schedule mm-hmm. where it's in a way where it's, they're still getting both services. They're, they're not losing class time. Sure, and they're sure. not, And especially in the community that we, that we, that I'm in, like, taking them from a physical education class could be mm-hmm. one of like w- whether it's like they need to get their sensory out or that that's the class where they're the most social like like that's just like a no-no for me so and then finding that trying to f- explain that to a teacher too like sorry i can't take them from gym so i'm going to take them from um their class but i but that's also been my job to be like okay well they're missing content whether it's art content whether it's whatever content they're missing they're missing content so that's why i've learned that my job is to teach whatever my language goals are within the context of their class. So that's why when the teachers are covering World War II, I'm covering World War II, but meeting the kids' goals. When I'm, if it's science, I think I pull a few kids from their science class. I'm doing their science curriculum of circuits. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know anything about circuits, but I learn, <laughs> and we learn together about the different parts Many of circuits. Many teachers would and, say the same thing, who teach science. <laughs> right, so I'm teaching them the words, and I'm teaching them the writing through their curriculum. Yeah. So that's... I think once I show value of that and and teachers oh see God, the connection, it's, it's so it feels so unfair that you have to like earn your way in. It doesn't feel right to me. Oh, it's like, I'd say a huge part of sure, the sure. September and October yeah, of yeah, my yeah. job, especially like it's nice when you've been at a school for a year because then the, you just like the teachers know the teachers know what you can bring, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like it's unfortunate that there are not great speech teachers out there that don't do this or might not. So other teachers come in with like a pre-notion of what we do or don't do. 
Mm-hmm. And then they also come in with their own biases of what yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so I try to replace that. I remember my first year ever, a teacher said to me, oh, this is what you, like the other person should have been doing. <laughs> like the first year I worked at any, and I was just like, what? Like, well, what that's, were, a, that's a compliment. Right? Yeah, and I was just like, what were the other people doing? You know, she's like, right. oh, they just never connected thing to what I was doing in the class. And I was yeah. like, I wouldn't even know how to do my job if I didn't. Like, that just seems like that's part of the job. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that is like yeah. what you should be doing. Well, so, you are certainly sharing a lot of things that are unexpected that not many people would know what were parts of your job. Uh, what, what are some of the other ones like th- that you were surprised by? Wait, I'm supposed to do this or teach this too? I'm a speech teacher. I mean, that the, the social pragmatic part, I was thrown off when the amount like the blurry line, ooh, I know it. A blurry line between a counselor and a speech teacher. Hmm. Because I am so, I get that like such close individual time with a student, mm-hmm. they overshare, which I don't even think it's, sh- they just share. Let's not call it overshare. <laughs> they share a lot. They share a lot. So I end up texting the counselors almost like every period because I'm like, oh, this kid just, and it, and it, and I don't have the expertise. I don't mm-hmm. have, the knowledge on like how to handle those things. So that's definitely something I've learned is how to handle those type of moments and what like my line and my position is in mm-hmm. those moments. So then like reaching out. Wow. So you're really interacting with every adult in the building that yeah. has FaceTime with the kids. Right. Yeah. So you're talking to counselors, you're talking to teachers, all the teachers. Talk to us a little bit about what is it about uh, the work that is hardest for you? What are the biggest challenges that you face? I think like a lot of teachers' paperwork. I think the amount of extra mm-hmm. um, weighs down the available time to do less, to actually do the curriculum planning and mm-hmm. to actually do the research behind why you're picking that video versus another video, right? Like you're busy writing a lesson plan. Um, there's a lot of paperwork that was unexpected and I think a challenge to handle, especially when like things happen throughout the school day and teachers have to cover are asked to cover mm-hmm. or there's fight going on and you want to go help that student because you know you're you're maybe their safe person in the building so there is time in our schedules to do that but it's never i feel like able to substantiate what we actually what we actually do you know given that your skill set is required to be so diverse it seems previous to our conversation i had viewed a speech therapist as more like a doctor who also has kind of like once you become a doctor you're a doctor yeah you have to continue to learn about Mm -hmm. the research that is new or new medications coming out but you've kind of like earned your your spot right uh is is it like that for speech therapists it's not like that we have very high mandate of amount of professional development we need to keep our license oh wow so um a lot of speech teachers there's an american association that it's called getting your C's. It's like clinical competence. And in order mm-hmm. to keep your C's, you um, have to complete 30 hours over three years. I mean, I don't know the gap. There's some, there's well, some number. Maybe there's different um, from different in different states also. No, that's nationwide. Oh, that's nationwide. Okay, cool. And then every state does have their own requirements. But mm-hmm. if you're following ASHA standards, you then complete every state. Like they make it that way. And then we also have what whatever your state has. So like state, all the professional development the school provides, teachers, like your Monday PDs type thing, mm-hmm. the teachers get their hours for their CTLE. So I also have to keep holding my CTLE, but none of those count for me because that's my paperwork time. I have to go out of the building on other days to get my CTLE hours. So there's actually a lot of professional development that I have to go. And that's often like if I'm out of the building, that's where I am. And also 
every time I think I learn a strategy that's really effective, there's a new evidence-based practice that's been shared out and that would be more effective for this type of community or this type of um, learning disability. There's so much going like- Yeah, you know, when I, when I think about asking this question to related services providers like speech language, counseling, uh, occupational therapy, etc., I imagine most of them saying there's not enough PD, it's meaningless PD. That, that's what I expect to hear. But what I'm hearing from you is different from that and it changes my view a little bit. You're sounding like you get plenty of opportunity to develop professionally. I get a lot of opportunity. And, and uh, I imagine it is also funded by the school yeah. that you're part of. Okay, so that sounds great. Do you find it helpful and meaningful? I f- I'd say it depends. 50-50. Um, <laughs> that can be said about all PD. Um, I think it's like what you take of it. But like sure, sometimes sure. it's so like who gives it to you and what it is. In an ideal world, it would mm-hmm. be I get to pick and choose exactly which professional developments I wanted to attend. But being that this is one of the biggest school districts ever. I don't get that choice. I kind of get to, I get some choice, but not mm-hmm. that much. So I kind of got to take what I can from it. And unfortunately, a lot of it's geared towards K through five. So the mm-hmm. middle school and high school teachers kind of have to like go to these PDs and then adapt it to what we, to the higher secondary mm-hmm. schools, which is a challenge. So I'd say I would want more geared towards middle and high school. And as you were saying, like you guys get a specialty. There's such a big speech and language is such a big major that I, I, if I were to go back and like, I would tell them they need to start making different paths, a hospital path, a K through five path. For the curriculum for, 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 for studies, for undergrad studies. For undergrad okay. studies. And then it carries out. Like I know that. It should I've, be a better specialization. Yourself. Yes. So cause it's very geared towards the clinician finding their own ways and like mm. finding their community. I found now a bunch of speech therapists that we talk about um, our caseload with and we like bounce strategies off of, but that was a big part of like us doing that on our own if we had I think more specialty paths like you were saying yeah so what are the opportunities for professional growth in in your career so you know you're an SLT at a school right now and mm-hmm. you have a caseload and like in five years do you become or do you have the opportunity to become I don't know like a super. district representative super like if I wanted to go district level I'd have to go back to school for admin so there's administration degree. There are career opportunities, but they require additional, additional certifications studies. and studies. I could go work at a college, and I could be a, a professor. I could be a supervisor. Mm-hmm. I could open my own practice. I could go work at a clinic. Mm-hmm. I can work with early intervention and do babies. I could work at a tutoring center that offers RSAs and get kids who go to charter and charter and private schools that don't have speech teachers in the building so they have to go out to get it mm-hmm. um, there's so there's so many different opportunities oh, cool. for me I don't know if it's like, adv- like I don't know if it's like so tiered as the way mm-hmm. teachers are yeah, yeah, yeah. like team leader then there's like ways like master to, teacher right, and like, so on and so forth it not, it's not really like that the only thing we get is like seniority in a building <laughs> but like we really uh, well, go that's, that's, that's also <laughs> that's, a nice thing to have yeah <laughs> well l- last question we're running out of time if you could wave a magic wand to change something that will uh, that will make your work and the impact of your work better for children what would it be ooh you could have three wishes funding is like obviously changing it would be more like my students in the class. Like I would change everything for classroom size. Like classroom size, getting smaller classrooms, getting more funding, getting me more integrated into 
like different parts of the school community that would be more beneficial to my students, less students on my caseload, more opportunities to work with them. I'm starting to become like a sets teacher that way though. No wishes with regards to working with adults that you have to collaborate with or try to? Maybe like a, a more clear understanding about my role amongst the school community. Yeah, maybe not having to like advocate for my place. I feel like I do have to do that. Yeah, so my magic wand would tell teachers to just know my job and know the value I bring before me. I even walk in. <laughs> do you get to talk to teachers a lot? The speech therapist is always has to be walking around, going from this classroom to that classroom, gathering kids, figuring out sessions, office sessions. It's like those three minutes in the hallway. Teachers? Three minutes in the hallway. Hallway talks, emails, drives home on speakerphone. <laughs> um, Working full time, really. Yeah, because I don't have that, like, because I'm, I have so many mandates, I can't even be on grade teams. Like, there's no, there's no room in my schedule to just have team meetings, right? right, right. right? Like, I have to meet the mandates of the school. So there's not time in my schedule to get that built in. Maybe that would be a magic wand to be able to be, I'm servicing five different grades, right? Like five different communities within one school. I should be on five different teams, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. Half the stuff, and the kids ask me, and I'm like, oh, I don't know, like, like you're like out of the you. loop all the time. Yes, I'm definitely out of the loop, but I'm also just like a very type A person, so I am very proactive about finding sure, the sure. answers, especially like when I know what the kids will need, like whatever it means. Like, when's my test? When's my thing? So, like, I'm I, I ask teachers, put me on the grade team calendars, right? Like, I'm I'm proactive, that's my personality, but I mean, if those teachers that work in three schools, like, it's not sustainable mm. for them to even participate in any of the communities like that. Well, on that note. Thank you. We wish and hope that those things all become true one day. <laughs> uh, thank you for your time. It was such an eye-opening experience to hear your perspective you. and to learn from it. And that's all for today's episode, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Turn and Talk Podcast is your one-stop shop for learning about what is actually happening in schools today directly from the people who are working in today's schools. The support for this podcast comes from listeners like yourself, people who are interested in the present and the future of education. So feel free to head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash turn and talk podcast we invite you to also follow us on instagram at turn and talk podcast if you haven't subscribed yet please go ahead and do that too so that all future episodes are available to you upon release and downloaded immediately to your device if you have questions thought feedback or if you work in a school and would like to take the mic back please please email us at turn and talk podcast at gmail.com thank you for tuning in This is your host, Jay McSood, signing out. Peace.